Thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning. Let's give them a let's give them a thanks. Huh? Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. I, I can't even do puppets on the. Yeah, no, that's good. With my ADD, you know, I might just be over here. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll try to avoid that. All right. Well, hey, uh, Troy did this when we started the service, but some of you weren't in here yet, and I too love that that tradition that for hundreds of years, Christians and churches all over the world proclaim to each other this phrase on, on Easter morning. We say, he is risen. He is risen. Amen. I love that. And, and, and I think back and I think that it's, it's really amazing that, that for 2,000 years, like 2,000 years after Jesus was here on this earth, we are still talking about Jesus of Nazareth. He, he was an actual man who walked on this earth, and Jesus, he was sent. The reason he came was out of God's love for us. In fact, what, maybe, maybe one of the most familiar verses from all of the Bible is John chapter 3, verse 16, where it says, and let's read this off the screen together, it says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. How many of you memorized that in a different version? So yeah, yeah me too. I know that's why I have to read it off the screen now. So, um, but I love this, right? It says, God loved who? Right? No, God loved the world, right? He loved the world, all of us. And so he gave. He gave his son. He gave Jesus. See, God gave Jesus because he knows that the ultimate expression of love is sacrifice. And Jesus died as a sacrifice to demonstrate his love for the world. For you and for me, he died on a cross. And he did it for the world, for all and he didn't have to do it, but he did. And so for me, the question that's been stirring around Good Friday, which was a service we did a couple days ago and looked at the crucifixion of Jesus, and the, the question that's been stirring around, around Jesus' crucifixion and around Easter Sunday is, is this. It's simply, why? Right? Why? Why did he do this? Why did he give himself? He knew he would die a brutal death. And why did he do it? Well, according to the scripture we just read and many other scriptures, he did it for love. He did it all for love. You know, I was thinking about how love can really um, make fools of us, can't it? <laughs> just think about some of the things maybe you've done uh, in your life. Um, I think about some of the things that I've done in my life that, in trying to, you know, find love or to express my love or to even prove my love. Um, for the pursuit even of, of possible love, I have been willing to make a fool of myself. Can any of you relate? Yeah. Right? Okay, those of you that didn't raise your hands, your spouse needs to look at you and be, remind you, right? You know, like you did what? Yeah. Um, but we are. We're willing to, to really put ourselves on the line and take a risk. Think about this. Um, uh, remember back, has anybody ever asked someone on a date before? Really? What is wrong with you people? Were these all arranged marriages? What? Okay, okay. There's a few. Whew, I'm starting to get worried I was in the wrong country here. Okay, so, um, so when you ask somebody on a date, um, you know, you might not be sure what the response is going to be from the person that you're asking, right? And so how would you feel when you ask somebody on a date and you're not sure what they're going to say? How do you feel? Nervous. Nervous. Yeah, anxious, nervous, scared, right? We feel scared, right? But, but, but if you don't ask, if you don't make a move, it's very unlikely that you're going to get that date, right? 
right? I mean, if one of you doesn't make a move, you're not going to probably have a date. And it's going to be pretty hard, at least in our culture, to move towards one day having that lifelong love that you dream of. So we really have to be willing to make fools of ourselves. Um, we have to be willing to take a risk. I mean, you think about it, it's the things that we do uh, for love. The things that we will do. <laughs> um, probably about five years ago, um, there was a woman while I, I was single. There was this woman I was really good friends with. And we'd been friends already for a couple of years. And there was some obvious attraction between us. I mean, can you blame her, right? Huh? huh? Thank you. But, but I was nervous about this whole thing. I was a little gun-shy after being divorced, and then after dating a couple of women, I was even, like, whoa, even more gun-shy about getting married again someday. I, I mean, I really felt like a fool. Um, but this female friend and I, uh, for two years, over two years, we had been just friends, and one day, all right, spoiler alert, it was Heidi, okay? Um, <laughs> one day, Heidi and I are on the phone, and we're talking, and she asks me this frighteningly risky, direct question about our um, relationship, <laughs> right? Now, before I tell you about the scary question, I need to introduce another name into the story, Darla, right? So Darla was a friend of both Heidi's and mine, and Heidi knew that, that my friendship with Darla, it was strictly platonic, there was no romantic interest whatsoever, okay? So, so back to the question, the big scary question that Heidi asked me. Um, she said, and, and I found out later that she had actually written it down because we were on the phone, so she would make sure to ask it just right, okay? So she said this. She said, do you like me like you like Darla, or could there be something more? <laughs> I was totally shocked, right? It was almost like being in elementary school, like where, you know, the note that comes to you where there's, yeah, do you like me, circle yes or no, like, I, you know, I might have been less surprised by one of those, say, so, um, so I froze, right? This was like a sneak attack, okay? I was not expecting that conversation on that day. Um, so I did what any, you know, normal, godly Christian man would do. I lied. I totally lied, right? I totally lied. I, well, okay, I kind of lied. What I said to her, um, would you like me to like you? Or could there be something more? I said, well, I haven't really thought about it. Like that. I added the like that so it wasn't totally a lie, right? Okay, so I haven't really thought about it like that, which was partly true because the truth was that I had thought about it a lot, but I hadn't thought about Darla in the mix. So, um, <laughs> but I was so scared, right? I was torn between that part of me that longed for real love and I was very drawn to Heidi. I secretly, I had my hopes up, but I was also trying to be super careful because I knew she was such a treasure, such a special woman, this incredible friend, and she'd been through a lot and I didn't wanna hurt her. I didn't wanna hurt her or, or, or damage our friendship if things wouldn't have worked out. Um, just fast forward in the story. Uh, we dated for over a year and now we've been married for almost three and a half years. So I'd say it's worked out, right? At least it's worked out for me. <laughs> Any of you that know me know that I hit the jackpot when I married Heidi. Um, but the risks that we take for love, the things that we do to find the love that we long for, it's, it's amazing. Um, but you also know that, that, that it doesn't always work out, does it? Sometimes the person that we love, they don't feel the same way towards us. Sometimes there's rejection 
or sometimes you think you have a true love, a solid love, maybe even a lifelong love with someone, and then your love is betrayed, or your love is rejected, or somebody says, I don't think I was ever supposed to marry you in the first place. And the pain of that kind of deep wounding is enough to send us reeling and scrambling. That pain, I know this from personal experience, that pain can take years to recover from. The pain of betrayal can leave a mark for a long, long time. And so, if there's so much pain involved, if finding the love that we long for is so risky, I mean, the truth is, right, you might get scorned or rejected or betrayed, then, then why do we bother? Why do we even do it? See, I believe it's because we are created for love and our hearts long for love. A pastor named Erwin McManus wonders if someday after civilization, or someday another civilization from some faraway galaxy, uh, what if they were to discover Earth, he wonders, and they would study our history they would study all of our wars, all of our politics, um, all of our art, everything we've created as a human race. He says that their conclusion in the end will be that, that we did it all for love, just to be loved. In all our insanity, in all our violence, in all our beauty, in all of our brokenness, in all of our advancements to make the world a better place, and in all of our capacity to destroy our own planet I think that they would look at us in their study and say everything humans did was done in order to attempt to be loved. It's what we want. It's what we long for, which is why it helps make sense um, of why God th did things. God did things the way that he did when he sent Jesus. It makes more sense when we think about that. I mean, you think about why. Why did why did God do it the way he did it. Why did God send Jesus? Why did God come to earth as a human being? Why did he write himself into the story as one of the characters of the story as a human? And why would he subject himself to the pain of being human, allowing himself to be ridiculed, to be mocked, to be falsely accused, to be beaten and brutalized, and then allow himself to be crucified? McManus goes on to say, when we understand that the language of God is love, we also understand that the highest expression of love is sacrifice. So he's acknowledging here, right? Real love involves taking a risk, doesn't it? See, I think the idea of loving unconditionally while at the same time playing it safe, it doesn't work in our universe. It doesn't work that way. Now, how, how does God's love then work for us? Uh, the verse we read at the start of this um, message said that God loved the world so much he gave his only son. Okay, so how does his love work? I mean, since he's God, since he's all-powerful, is, is God somehow immune from feeling pain or feeling betrayed? Like, can God himself experience a broken heart when he's rejected by us? Well, let's start with this. First John Chapter 4, verse 16 says this. It says, and here's a phrase that many of you have heard at the end of this. It says, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. You heard that before? God is love. And here's one of the places it's at in the text. God is love. See, because God is love, he understands the deep love that we humans crave. 
In fact, he made us this way to long for love. We are created to need others and we are created with a longing that can only be filled by having a relationship with God. Now on God's side of the equation, equation on his side of it, uh, because God is love, he also has a heart to be connected to his creation, to people. If you were to read the Bible through, the Bible tells the story of how God created people in his image, and then he offered his love and a relationship to them. But if you know the story, it didn't take long before we rejected his love. And you read through the drama of the Old Testament, and God, whose love had been rejected over and over, he'd been scorned, taken advantage of, and betrayed. His love had never waned. And if you were to turn the page from the last book of the Old Testament, flip the page in the story that God is writing into what we call the New Testament, God takes a daring risk. He sends Jesus to earth in human flesh. Now, remember, God knows that love makes fools of us all because we have to take a risk. And God takes a risk and sends Jesus. I mean, I wonder if the angels were wondering, asking each other, what, what, what if they don't receive his love? What if, what if they reject Jesus? What if it doesn't work out? See, but God did this. He sent Jesus anyway because, remember, even while he knew it wouldn't always work out, uh, love involves taking a risk, so he took a risk. He knows he's going to be rejected, but why does he do it? Because God is love, and he loves you. He loves you. Remember what I said just a little bit ago, um, that love and sacrifice, they just, they go hand in hand. See, God so loved the world that he came in love. God so loved the world that he took a risk. God so loved the world that he took that risk, and humankind responded how he knew we would respond. And because of his love, he suffered, he was betrayed, and we killed him on a cross. And so even think of this, why did Jesus give himself up to die on a cross? Again, he did it for love. And the cross, this is a powerful symbol, a really a picture of God's love, the love of Jesus. But moving from the cross, see, because today is Easter. <laughs> Easter is a celebration of his love as well. See, the resurrection of Jesus was also an act of love. John was one of Jesus' closest friends. Uh, he was one of Jesus' disciples. And, and, and in the Gospel of John, he writes and tells us about the crucifixion, the death of Jesus. And, and just to remind you of the timeline, uh, Jesus was crucified on a Friday. Um, he was dead. On Friday, he's dead. Imagine the shock. Imagine the shock of his followers that this had happened uh, just a week ago. Um, now it's Sunday, but a week ago, they were singing Hosanna. Everybody was saying, oh, Jesus is the king, shouting Hosanna to Jesus. And a few days later, they changed their shouts to crucify him, <laughs> crucify him. His followers are devastated Jesus is dead. And his followers now, a few days, two days later here, they're in fear. They're totally in fear because as followers of Jesus, they too could be executed just like Jesus was. So they were hiding out. 
So John chapter 20, we read about what happens next after the crucifixion, after the hiding out. It is now Sunday morning, and it says in verse 1, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and they, we don't know where they've put him. Okay, hang on, just, I can't get past that one phrase here, so a little side note here. Anyone here want to guess who the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, is referring to? Yeah, John, the guy that wrote the book, right? He gives himself a little nickname, right? He gave himself a nickname. I'm like, uh, hey, John, I don't think that's how nicknames work, bro, right? Um, first of all, it's kind of a long nickname, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And second of all, like, have you ever tried to give yourself a nickname and, and nobody would go along with it? Yeah. And then the nicknames that other people give you that you can't stand, what happens to those? They stick. They totally stick, right? Well, John must have known he was going to have this book hanging around for a long time, so he gave himself a really wonderful nickname, the disciple who Jesus loved, which the other disciples had to be like, dude, what? Huh? Anyway, back to the story of Easter morning. Um, uh, what happens here is Mary Magdalene, and actually there's two other women, they go to visit Jesus' tomb while it's still dark. So I don't know if it's like the first sunrise service, but it's a little more like a surprise party, surprise on them. Um, but they get there, and Jesus' body is gone. Now, resist the temptation to rush ahead because we know what happens, right? Just stay in the story for a moment. She runs back to where some of the other disciples are huddled together, and notice this, even though Jesus had told them before that he was going to rise from the dead, they were so traumatized that they haven't even imagined that he's alive. They just think his body is missing. Did you catch that? They just think his body's missing. I mean, you know, when, when people, some folks try to say, hey, listen, the disciples, they just fabricated this whole deal. They made up this story about Jesus' resurrection, but... I don't think they could even, even fathom the thought that he was alive. They were so afraid that they were hiding. And while they're hiding out in fear of their lives, none of them would have ever thought to fabricate a story because it would seem ridiculous. Nobody would believe this if it wasn't true. And they themselves, I mean, they didn't even believe that he is, had risen even though it was already true because it didn't occur to them that Jesus was alive until they saw him later. So when the body was gone, track with me here, when the body was gone, instead of them going, oh, Jesus has risen from the dead. So instead of saying that, instead of believing the words that he had spoken to them before telling them that he would rise from the dead, instead of remembering all the times that he had said that this is what's going to happen, Mary, she just assumes like that his body gets stolen and so do, do the disciples, right? She says, we don't know where they put him, right? Because nobody put him anywhere, <laughs> Verse 3, so Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but <clears throat> important detail here, the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first, right? <laughs> right? I mean, what a weird detail. Like, the other disciple, again, is... Yeah, the one Jesus loved, John, the one that wrote this book, right? And he has to make sure that in all, this, all these important details... Like, hey, everybody, I just want you to know, I was there first, I won the race, Okay. Very important stuff. Um, makes me wonder, have dudes always been competitive? Eh, apparently so. Verse five. <clears throat> he bent in, this is John. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. 
he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. So interesting. Picture this. Even though John got there first, it says he stopped and didn't go inside. But when Peter gets there, shoop, right? He just goes straight into the tomb, right? No hesitation. Boom. He's just in. And I love this about Peter. Like this guy is always jumping in passionately. I mean, if you know any of the stories about Peter from the Bible, you know, sometimes his passion got him into trouble because he would say, you know, stupid things. Like if he thought something, bloop, it's out his mouth. He said it. I can relate to Peter like that. I don't know about you, but I can relate. I do that sometimes too. Like Peter, a passionate guy, and he's always like messing up. But this time, this time, his passion, I think, is something to be admired. I mean, in the, in the race that he was running with John, he couldn't keep up. But John, he stops at the outside of the tomb. Peter gets there and goes straight in. And then, interestingly, it says John goes into the tomb as well. It says in verse 8, finally, the other disciple, <clears throat> by the way, who had reached the tomb first, <laughs> he also went inside. He saw and believed. This is really interesting, right? He had hesitated initially. He had hesitated. But after I think he saw Peter's courage, John went in too. And then it said he saw and believed. Which sounds like this wonderful faith proclamation. He saw and believed. But if you look at the next verse, it says this. I'm not sure why they put it in parentheses, but it says they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Interesting. You know, I think about this scene right here, and I think about John, and if I just kind of follow it through in slow motion, um, it makes me wonder just how he ran up, looked in, and then just didn't go in. It makes me wonder, like, how many of us have come so close to following Jesus? Like, maybe we've even walked right up to that line, looked in, think, oh, yeah, 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 I think Jesus, yeah, he existed. I think Jesus, yeah, he was a good man. You know, we might even think his teachings are solid, that his actions while he was on earth, his actions were admirable. We're so close, but not quite there. Like, we believe things about Jesus. We believe things about him, but we haven't made this commitment to follow him. Maybe, maybe, maybe for you, you just go, ah, listen, I just don't have all my questions answered yet. Um, and we think, you know, that we need to answer every single question before I can fully trust in Jesus. And listen, I think it's really important to look for answers to our questions. Absolutely, right? Uh, God is not uh, upset or irritated with that. Like, keep asking questions. God is not afraid of our questions. But if you are somebody that's kind of standing on that line, not sure yet, if you were to ask any of us who have made the decision to follow Jesus, to commit our lives to Christ, if you were to ask us if we had all of our questions answered first, you'd discover, at least from those of us that are honest, you'd discover that we don't have all the answers either. Like, I have questions all the time. All the time I have questions. And I keep asking questions, and I believe that God's really good with that. Not threatened at all by that. See, if I needed to have all my questions answered before I could start a relationship with God and make a decision to follow Jesus, if I had to wait for that, I'd have never had made the jump. And maybe some of you here are 
You're like me in that way, and, and, and you, got, you got questions. You still got questions. Or maybe you're somebody that can identify with John, just got right up to the line, took a peek, but at least at first, wouldn't go in. My question is, um, what will it take for you to take that next step? I mean, wouldn't it be just such a tragedy like to be so close, but not fully enter in and give Jesus your life? So what will it take? What would it take for you to make that commitment and decide to follow Jesus, to walk it out with him, to ask questions, to work it out? See, my prayer is today that if that's you, you'll begin to trust God's heart for you, that he really does love you. And that today, my prayer is that you would be willing to take a step toward Jesus today. Even without all your questions or objections resolved, I pray that today you will believe, that you will trust that God's posture toward you is love and that you will, um, that you'll decide to pray and, and let his love into your heart. Well, back to the story here. John says he saw and believed, even though he says they didn't understand yet that Jesus had risen from the dead. And it says, the next verse says, then they went back to the place where they were staying. Mary, however, Mary stays by the garden, by the tomb, and Jesus appears to her. And I remember when I read that, I was like, I wonder if Peter and John wish they'd hung around just a few more minutes, right? (laughs) Um, Jesus appears to Mary. Maybe he was waiting for Peter and John to get out of there. I don't know. But, um, but it didn't take long because the next verses say that uh, that same night, then that night, that night, that very night, Jesus shows up. There's a number of disciples. They're still hiding. They've actually got their doors locked. And Jesus like appears among them. Like, I don't know if he went through the wall. Maybe he came down the chimney. I don't know. Um, But Jesus is there, and he was really there. And now, this thing that they've been hearing all day, they now know that Jesus is alive. And if you keep reading the story of what happens, um, actually, we're going to start a series next week. It's it's called Jesus is Alive, Now What? So we're going to stay in the story, and we're going to look at Jesus and and what happened after this and, and look at some of his teachings and what he intends for us as people and a church and what difference does it make that he rose from the dead? What difference does, he make, does it make that he ascended into heaven? Um, but we're going to look at that. And, and if you were to keep reading the story in John that we've been tracking from here, um, you'll see that they become really convinced of the truth. And you keep reading into the book of Acts and in church history, and, and you'll hear how these disciples, especially the first-hand ones who, who saw Jesus with their own eyes, not just the disciples, but many of his followers, so many of them were so convinced of the truth of Jesus' resurrection that he was alive that nothing could change their mind. Nothing could change their mind. Because they all, the ones that saw him especially, uh, saw him, heard him, touched him, they knew he had risen from the dead. They were confident in it, so much so so much so were they convinced that many of them, when they, were said, when they were told, hey, you can recant your faith, you can renounce this resurrection as a hoax, or you can die. And they would say, we can't, we can't deny what we've seen. We can't, right? Listen, if this, 
story about the resurrection was made up, there's no way that that many people would willingly give up their lives to, to perpetuate a hoax. There's no way. They believed it was real. They saw him. So many people saw him. And their love for Jesus grew in their confidence that he was alive. It gave them the courage. His love gave them the courage. It was so strong. Their love gave them the courage to go and change the world. His love then, his powerful love flowing through them to change the world, to change history. Because there's this Jesus now who is alive, whose love is so powerful that even death couldn't keep him in the grave. His love overcame that. I have one more scripture that I want to look at. Um, it's related to the love of God. It's connected to this story. It's actually, again, this one is written by uh, John, Jesus' disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved, right? Um, this is written by him in, in one of the letters he wrote. It's called 1 John. In 1 John chapter 4, it says this. John says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. Isn't this great? John, who also said God is love, says there is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. I mean, John is talking about God's posture towards us. And he's saying that you don't have to be afraid of God's punishment towards you. Now, that's pretty good news for the human race, I would say. Um, especially when you think about the crucifixion story, you think about Jesus coming and then what humankind did to God himself. Like, worthy of punishment for sure, what we did to him. Like, here's the deal. <laughs> Y'all need to be really happy for lots of reasons, but you need to be really happy that I'm not God, okay? Right? I mean, if I were to come down to earth, um, as God, come down to earth, step out of the perfection of heaven, come down to this filthy planet full of you know, hard-hearted, mean people. If I came and willingly gave up all my rights as God to the absolute power that I had, but gave it up, if I took on the body of a human being and then voluntarily felt the pain of what being a human was like, if I did all of that and, and, and was the perfect expression of love for all to see and brought healing and kindness and compassion and loved and, and taught people, if I did all that and I just embodied love, but then you respond by accusing me, betraying me, and then you arrested me, spit on me, ripped my clothes, hit me in the head with a club over and over, stripped me naked, beat me to a bloody pulp until my skin and flesh were falling off my bones and left me unrecognizable. And then, in that condition, you ridicule me as the king by putting a fake crown, a crown made of thorns, forcing it into my head, and you force me then to carry my own instrument of death up a hill then you lay me down on it and nail me to it and you mock me while I'm there. I'm, I'm hanging there in agony and I die on the cross. I, like, if that happens to me and then I come back, <laughs> it's gonna suck to be you, I promise. Yeah. But this is why the resurrection of Jesus it's the greatest plot twist of any story throughout history. 
Jesus conquered death. He rose from the grave. He was powerful enough to conquer death. And when he came back, after all that was done to him, he didn't come back with revenge or wrath or vengeance or anger or judgment or condemnation. Like Jesus could have wiped out the entire planet for treating him this way, and he would have had every right to do so. But he came back, and instead of judgment, he offers us forgiveness. He came back and he gives us love. And his friend John writes, because he watched it all unfold. John says, I have seen Jesus come back and rise from the dead. And there is no fear in his love. No fear. See, friends, even though God is all-powerful, even though he's stronger than death and can come back in power, he still comes back and offers himself to us in humble love. He could have demanded our allegiance, like, hey, do you see what I just did? If you do not want to land on the wrong side of this, that's not how he did it. Again, remember, friends, God is love. And by the very nature of love, love must be chosen. Love must be chosen. For love to be love, it can't be forced but that also means that it can also be rejected. Like it works for us that way in human relationships, right? When we offer our love to someone or our heart to someone, they can either receive our love or they can reject our love. And love works the same way for God because he is love. He will not force us to choose him. He is powerful, but he makes himself vulnerable to us. See, power and love, they're not the same thing, are they? Again, God is all-powerful, but he chose to lay his power down and to allow himself to be sacrificed, and he did that to demonstrate his great love for us. Because again, God understands that the ultimate declaration of love is sacrifice, and there's nothing higher that God could do. So in spite of God being powerful, the most powerful, There's still a tricky thing when he offers love. It's even tricky for him. And you know this, if you've loved somebody deeply in your life, you can love someone. You can love someone with every fiber of your being, but you are powerless to make them love you back. Isn't that true? Uh, I mean, hey, you know, you could make a person fear you. That just takes power. But, But power and love, they're not the same thing. Like we get that mixed up in our human relationships all the time. People trying to use fear or manipulation or control to get what they're calling love and it's not love, it's dysfunctional, it's unhealthy. And we call that love and think, I want nothing to do with it. That's good, because that ain't love. But the love God gives us is perfect. He doesn't use his power to try to force you He doesn't try to make you fear him or force you to love him. And again, you know, you can make a person fear you, but you can't force them to love you. And because God is love and he's grace and life and light, he will not make you love him. He leaves that choice up to you. He leaves that up to you. He loves you with a relentless and reckless love. His love is passionate. It's unconditional. It's sacrificial. It's an everlasting love. And God has done everything. He's done everything he can do 
to offer his love to you. And it's your call to receive his love or not. He won't force you. He simply holds his love out to you and offers himself to you freely. You know, many of us, we're, we're kind of walking around, we're doing the best we can in life. We're so empty though. We're, we're feeling exhausted, our hearts feel dead. We've been wounded too many times. We've put ourselves out there too many times and been rejected. We've been too disappointed. Our lives feel empty. And friends, the only thing that can move us from death into life is the love of Jesus. See, the, the, the love of Jesus changes everything. Like there are so many of us, we're just on this, this desperate search for love in our life and we run from one thing to another to try and fill us another person or another thing to try to make us whole, to make us finally feel like we're okay. I'm, oh, now I feel like I'm okay. Maybe this person can fill it. But let me say this, friends, it is insanity to try to search for love and to run from God. It's insanity to try to search for love while we run from God because God is love. See, that's the beauty of the Christian faith. We're not inviting, we're not inviting you to join some religion and follow all the rules. No, no, we're inviting you into the unconditional love of Jesus Christ. And you can receive that love by receiving Jesus. You receive Jesus and you allow him to change your life. Now remember, again, what Jesus did, it was all for love. What he did was for love. I mean, if he was just coming to try to judge you, he would not have needed to die on the cross. He would not have needed to suffer if the whole point of, of, of Jesus was to just try to get you to shape up and follow the rules. No, 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 he didn't die on a cross to condemn you. The only reason that Jesus suffered and died on the cross is so that we could know love. He did it all for love. He did it for love. It was all for you. He did it for you. He wanted you to enter into a relationship where you follow him out of love, where you learn to walk with God, to do your life with God, to live in his love, and then learn how to love him and others in return, where you can live in his grace, where you can trust him to heal your heart and to give you a brand new story with an ending that's far better than anything you could have dreamed up yourself. Friends, Jesus is here right now. He's here among us. He is alive and he is here. His spirit is among us right now and he is offering to you love and life. He invites you to cross that line of faith, to open up your life to him, to give your life to him. But it's an invitation because remember, you can't force someone to love you. But you you can accept someone's love. You can say yes to love. And so I wanna give an opportunity for you to do that right now, to say yes to Jesus, to say yes to love, to receive his love. And some of you are here this morning and maybe it's your first time here, maybe you've been here many times, but, but something is clicking for you in this hour. And maybe you came here this morning feeling empty, wondering about Jesus, wondering about God, wanting to be filled. 
Maybe you know you need something more in your life. You've been trying to fill all these holes with different things or people or relationships, but it's not working and you don't wanna go another day without God. Friend, now is your time. Like you might be here today and God's speaking to you and maybe that's not even how you would describe it, but maybe you even just sense that something in your heart is being drawn to God. Like your heart is saying, yeah, yeah, I need this. I, I want this. Like some of you, you're here this morning. Um, I, I know that you understand what I'm saying and now is your time. Today is your day. Today is the time, the day for you to begin a relationship with Jesus and God's tugging at your heart right now and, and, and you know that something's happening in your heart. He's calling to you with his love. He's, he's knocking at the door. And if you have a sense of this and, and, and it's pretty normal to be like, well, I'm not sure and I think I need to wait and I need to know more. I'm not ready to really cross that line. I'm just gonna look in. Listen, when God starts to tug on your heart like that or he starts to move or, 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 or speak to you in some way, it's really important. these times are really important because when that happens and we say, mm, no, no, I don't think so, what can happen is that it just gets easier to say no, it gets easier to back away, it gets easier to create that distance and build that wall. And for some people, at some point, they do that enough times where they have a hard time really hearing anything um, from God anymore. But the good news is when you do say yes, when you have that sense and you want to say yes to God and you wanna to respond to him, when you say yes, then your heart begins to expand and grow and it's easier to follow what he's calling you into. It's, it's easier to say yes to him. It's, it gets easier as you go. So don't, if that's happening in your heart, this is an important moment for you to decide whether to say yes or no. And some of you, God's calling you to make that commitment right now to say yes to the love of God. And I wanna give you a chance to do that. So I'm gonna ask everybody here, would you just bow your heads for a moment? And what I'm gonna do is lead us in a prayer. And if you have never made that decision before, but you're ready to right now, I'm gonna ask you to say these words in your heart um, or you can say them out loud quietly to God as I, as I say them out loud. In fact, let's, let's do it this way. Let's, let's all of us, Pray these words out loud. Let's all of us pray these words out loud to encourage those who are making this decision today, okay? All right, here we go. Jesus, thank you for guiding the steps of my journey to this decision today. I see now that you are my only hope. So I choose you. I cannot make it on my own, so I choose you. I turn from sin, and I choose you. I choose now to trust you, Jesus, as my only hope. I give myself to you, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for your perfect love.